Chapter Thirty of From Jest to Earnest by Edward P. Bro. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Thirty, Around the Yule Log. Lottie's radiant face at supper, in contrast with her clouded one at dinner, again puzzled certain members of the household, and De Forest, to his disgust learned that while he slept she had again been with hemstead he resolved on sleepless vigilance till the prize was secured and mentally cursed the ill-starred visit to the country over and over again bell was cool and cynical outwardly but was really perplexed as to what ought to be done with all her faults she had a sincere affection for her friend and was shrewd enough to perceive that this affair with hemstead promised to be more serious than Lottie's passing pensions had been previously. But with her usual weakness and irresolution, she hesitated and waited, macabre-like, to see what would turn up. The impression grew on Mrs. Marchmont that Lottie was fascinating her nephew. And yet, just how to interfere, she did not see. It was rather delicate business to speak, with nothing more tangible than what she had yet seen that lottie herself was becoming sincerely attached to a young man of frank's calling and prospects could not occur to a lady of mrs marchmont's ideas of propriety and the fitness of things it was only lottie's inveterate disposition to flirt as to lottie's moods and emotions she smiled at them with cool indifference as far as she noticed them at all young people pass through such phases as through the measles she was accustomed to say Addie was too much wrapped up in herself to think particularly about others. Save by queer little chuckling laughs which no one understood, Mr. Dimmerly gave no sign that he noted anything unusual going on. Besides, Lottie was very circumspect when in the presence of others, and Hempstead unconsciously followed the suggestion of her manner. Thus even lynx-eyed Belle could seldom lay her finger on anything and say, here is something conclusive but if ever there was an earthly elysium hemstead and lottie dwelt in it during the remainder of that week not that they were much together or had much to say to each other by word of mouth scarcely another opportunity occurred for one of their momentous private talks for de forest's vigilance had become sleepless indeed besides hemstead was shut up in his room most of the time engaged on another sermon for Dr. Beams was ill, and the student had been asked to preach again. He gladly complied with the request, for he was most anxious to correct the dreary impression he had made on the previous Sabbath. Lottie, too, was much in her room, at work on something which no one was permitted to see. But little was thought of this, for the house was full of the mystery that always prevails just before Christmas. Every one was cherishing innocent and often transparent little secrets, which were soon to be proclaimed, if not from the housetop, on the treetop of the fragrant cedar that had already been selected and arranged in the back parlor, suggesting to all the blessedness of both giving and receiving. Yet, while seemingly separated, what moment passed when they were not together? How vain was De Forest's vigilance! How futile were Mrs. Marchmont's precautions! Lottie was the muse that sat at Hempstead's side, and every time he lifted his eyes from the paper, his vivid fancy saw her face glowing like the sunset and beaming upon him. 
she inspired his sermon. Unconsciously he wrote it for her alone, letting her need and spiritual state color the line of thought which his text naturally suggested, and a fresh hope-imparting Christmas sermon it promised to be, a veritable gospel. He was unconsciously learning the priceless advantage to a clergyman of pastoral visitation. For, in discovering and meeting the needs of one heart, nearly all are touched, so near a kinship exists throughout humanity. As Lottie stitched away at an odd bit of fancy work, very different from anything that had ever taxed her dainty skill before, strange gleams flitted across her face. At times her eyes would sparkle with mirth as she lived over scenes in which the student was ever the chief actor, and again she would grow pale and her breath come quick and short. As her fancy portrayed him, when in the darkness he could not have been seen by human eyes, far out amid the ice upon the river, then again her face would grow comically pitiful as she murmured, I could have brought him to quicker than uncle. I could have given him a stimulant more potent than the forty-year-old brandy of which uncle is so proud. I found out my power over him. Then her face would light up with exultation as she exclaimed, Oh, it's grand to have such power over a strong, richly endowed man, to be able to move and play upon him at your will by some mystic influence too subtle for prying eyes to see. I can lift him into the skies by a smile. I can cast him into the depths by a frown, but if I touch his hand, the giant trembles. He would be a Hercules in my service, and yet I've got him just there, and she depressed her little thumb with the confidence of a Roman empress desiring to show favor to some gladiatorial slave. Then her face would change in quick and piquant transition to the expression of equally comic distress as she sighed. But alas, where am I, right under his big thumb, whether he knows it or not? How it all will end, I dare not think. When her jeweled watch indicated that the time for dinner or supper was near, she would make the most bewitching of toilets and laugh at herself for doing so, querying, What is the use of conquering one over and over again who is already helpless at your feet? and yet the admiration of Hempstead's beauty-loving eyes was sweeter incense than all the flattery she had ever received before. And what hours of dainty, ethereal banqueting were those prosaic meals in Mrs. Marchmont's dining-room? The corpulent-colored waiter served the others, but airy-winged love attended these two, bearing from one to the other glances, tones, accents of the divinest flavor, De Forest noted and chafed over this subtle interchange. Bell and Mrs. Marchmont saw it also, and Mr. Dimmerly's queer, chuckling laugh was heard with increasing frequency. But what could be done? Lottie's and Hempstead's actions were propriety itself. Mrs. Marchmont could not say, You must not look at or speak to each other, as well seek to prevent two clouds in a summer sky from exchanging their lightnings. Hempstead was in a maze. The past and the future had lost their existence to him, and he was living in the glorified present. He no more coolly realized the situation than would one in an ecstatic trance. In one sense he verified the popular superstition and was bewitched, and with the charming witch ever near to weave a new spell a dozen times a day, 
how could he disentangle himself he was too innocent too unhackneyed to understand what was going on in his own heart the days and the hours fled away until saturday the day before christmas came by noon hemstead had finished his sermon and lottie had completed her mysterious fancy work and both were ready for the festivities of christmas eve mr dimmerly was a great stickler for the old english customs and always had the yule log brought in with great ceremony with his own hands he suspended the mistletoe from the chandelier in the hall which he always obtained from dimmerly manor in england lottie without thinking stood beneath watching him when with a spryness not in keeping with his years he sprang down and gave her a sounding smack in honor of the ancient custom there said he that pays me for all my trouble and expense but you will get another kiss here that you will like better before i take the mistletoe down well uncle said lottie laughing and rubbing her tingling cheek i hope it won't be such an explosion as yours was or it will alarm the household be careful or it may attract more attention than mine and he departed with his queer chuckling laugh lottie looked after him with sudden intelligence and asked herself now what does he mean by that does he suspect anything at the dinner-table mr dimmerly indulged in a long homily on the importance of keeping up old customs and ended with a sly significant glance at lottie which brought the color into her face but during the afternoon she foiled all the devices of de forest to get her under the mistletoe bough and yet with such grace that however disappointed he could not become angry as for hemstead he was far too diffident to attempt any such strategy much as he would have liked to solemnize the venerable rite and so at last christmas eve came and with it a few guests harcourt and miss martell had been specially invited for the fact of their engagement had become known at once and mrs marchmont hastened to assure them by this invitation that she had no regrets or resentment not for the world would she have miss martell imagine that any maternal projects had been frustrated harcourt grateful for all the kindness he had received at mrs marchmont's induced alice to accept and so their illumined faces were added to the circle that gathered around the yule log in the large dining-room that had been cleared for games and dancing in spite of the incongruous elements composing that circle it made with the crackling fire playing on happy faces and christmas decorations a pretty picture one that might convert a pagan into willingness to honor the chief christian festival after some old-fashioned country dances through which even hemstead had been induced to blunder to lottie's infinite delight they sat down to nuts apples and cider billets of hickory were piled higher than ever against the great yule log and never did the sacred flame light up fairer and happier faces than those of alice martell and lottie marsden and yet they were as different as could be one was the lily and the other the rose harcourt and hemstead also looked as if some angelic messenger had brought them tidings of great joy harcourt and alice sat together but lottie with seeming perverseness got as far away as possible but it was only seeming for she sat where she could look hemstead full in the face and with her brilliant eyes indulge in love's mystic telegraphy without restraint now was the time for mr dimmerly to shine out 
and he proposed that some one should begin a story and carry it forward to a certain point then stop abruptly while some one else took it up for a brief time when in like manner it would again be dropped that another might continue it so that each one who was willing might have a chance to contribute you commence mr harcourt said mr dimmerly after a preface of hemming the young man said once upon a time in a village in the south of france it was arranged that there should be a general fete and dance on the village green the afternoon before christmas little ninon was a peasant's daughter and she was only fourteen if she were petite she was also piquant and pretty very good very good cried a chorus of voices and a round of applause stimulated the narrator until this occasion ninon had always been kept at home as a child but after interminable coaxings she obtained her mother's permission to go to the fete now her mother was a widow and it so happened that she could not go with her daughter and after she had given her consent had not one whom she could send with her child as a protector but ninon was in such glee that her mother had not the heart to take back her promise now mother tell me what i shall say when the boys and perhaps some of the very young men ask me to dance with them say i'm only a little child who have come to see go thy ways but suppose they don't go their ways pouted ninon go thine then and come home now mother dear am i not almost old enough to have a lover lover indeed silly child but yesterday i rocked thee in the cradle there i'm a fool to let thee go then ninon in fear kept still lest her mother should change her mind a thing which women sometimes do even in france now i protest against innuendos cried lottie it is the frenchman as it is man all over the world who changes his mind adam first said he wouldn't eat the apple and then he did where's your authority for that said harcourt it's in the bible answered lottie stoutly at which there was a great explosion miss marsden equals modern commentators in amplifying the text laughed hemstead well persisted lottie if it isn't just so written i know enough of human nature to be sure that it was just how it happened on with the story cried mr dimmerly come miss martell the afternoon of the fete came said alice and ninon's mother was depressed with a boding of evil whom shall i send with thee my child my heart fails me in sending thee alone little brother pierre shall go with me said ninon he's an odd child and talks to the saints and angels more than to us if he goes with me the saints will take care of us both this seemed to strike the mother as true and she was comforted and the pale little boy with large spiritual eyes that appeared to look into the other world took his sister's hand without even the smile flitting across his sad face and they started for the fete now miss marchmont said miss martell with a graceful inclination to addie and the pale little boy with big owl-like eyes continued addie flippantly stalked along as if going to a funeral while ninon tripped and danced at his side but soon the young girl's steps grew slower and slower and her face thoughtful and she began to question her mother's words that she was too much of a child to have a lover and by the time she reached the village green she gave her pretty head a toss as she said we'll see about this mother doesn't know everything 
now bell but poor little ninon said bell soon became sadly bewildered for there were so many people talking at once and they pushed against and jostled her as if she were very small and insignificant indeed and she began to think that her mother was right and that she was only a child and she grew frightened and wished herself at home again but she kept fast hold of the hand of her brother whom the saints loved and felt that as long as he was with her she was safe finally they were pushed and jostled to a quiet nook on the edge of the green under a tree and here they sat down soon the dancing commenced and ninon amused herself by criticizing the people and making remarks to her brother about their dress and manner but he did not seem to hear her and his eyes were fixed on the sky as if he saw more that was wonderful there than she upon the village green mr de forest you next but as ninon sat there smiling and talking more to herself than to her queer little brother who didn't listen the young men began to notice her and to nudge each other and ask who she was for in truth she reminded every one of a half-blown rose but no one knew who she was and no one had ever seen her before than the handsomest young man in the village indeed he was the one at whom all the girls were setting their caps stepped forward and took a deliberate survey and soon was convinced that among all the village maidens there was not a face as fair as ninon's and while he looked at her ninon from under her long lashes as intently watched him at last the young man made up his mind and said to himself i will be her lover for this afternoon and in a manner that was the very embodiment of grace he stepped up to her and said my pretty maiden wilt dance with me and de forest bowed to lottie to continue it was strange how the foolish little story was gaining the breathless interest of all present all the more because each one was unconsciously coloring his bit of the mosaic with his own individuality lottie's manner by no means tended to allay this interest as she began her part of the impromptu tale she was a natural actress and for the moment became little ninon the scene had grown actual to her vivid fancy and by some process that cannot be explained she impressed it upon the minds of the others as real they saw the crowded village green the petite maiden and her weird brother sitting upon its edge as she began and ninon shyly raised her dark eyes to the face of the handsomest young man of all the village at whom the girls were setting their caps and said a trifle coldly i am only a little child who has come to see go thy ways and the handsomest young man stalked away haughty and offended and the youth of the village nudged each other and smiled and wondered and said she must be a princess in disguise or she would dance with him whom all the girls covet no one else would venture to speak to her but ninon for a while was content to be left alone and to watch all the funny people and their funny ways she didn't see any one with whom she wanted to dance at last she became conscious that one who seemed a stranger like herself was watching her and she began to look curiously at him at first she did not like his looks at all his dress was very plain not a bit smart and gay like that of the other young men besides he was so tall and grave and once when some one said a rude word to him 
His eyes were so fiery that Ninon was afraid of him. But a moment later, when his eyes rested on her, they became so kind and gentle that she wondered how it could be. Then she began to grow sorry for him, because like herself he was a stranger and had no one to talk to. But he seemed in quest of someone, for he looked all around among the people, but soon his eyes would come back and rest wistfully upon her face, as if she were the one he was looking for after all. This puzzled Ninon greatly, and she asked herself, Now can it be that I am the one he's looking for? At last it seemed that the stranger wished to speak to her, but hadn't the courage, and this amused Ninon vastly. Twice he advanced, faltered, and then retreated. Ninon was convulsed with laughter and whispered, Oh, Pierre, isn't this the funniest thing that ever was in this great world? That big man there is afraid of me. Little Ninon! Then she saw that he thought she was laughing at him, and that he had straightened himself up stiff and haughty and had looked the other way. But he couldn't keep looking the other way very long, Lottie said, with an indescribable air that brought out a round of applause. And when he timidly glanced towards her again, she gave him such an encouraging smile that he came at once to her side and said, Little sister, wilt walk with me? A happy thought struck Ninon. Her mother had said that she was too young to have a lover. But nothing had been said against her having another brother. So with conscience clear, she whispered, Sit still here till I come back. And the little boy sat still, looking up into the sky, while Ninon let the tall stranger take her hand and lead her away. But his eyes were so gentle and true that she lost all fear and asked, Why did you call me sister? Perhaps you can tell me, he said. I came here an utter stranger, and I looked all around among the people, and their faces were strange, and it seemed to me that they ever would be strange, but when I saw your face you appeared to belong to me. I think we must be related. I never saw you before, said Ninon, shaking her head. I've seen you in my dreams all my life, he replied, looking at her so earnestly that the color deepened on her cheek. I've never heard anything so queer in all my life, said Ninon. You have much to learn, said the stranger. Yes, said Ninon humbly. As mother says, I'm only a little child. You are not a little child. You are a beautiful maiden, Ninon, said the stranger earnestly. Nonsense, she said blushingly. I'll never be that. But she liked to hear him say it, nevertheless. Lottie added, with an accent that again brought out a round of applause. I'm taking too much time, Lottie said deprecatingly. Go on, go on, was the unanimous cry, and her little brother Dan, who had dropped nuts and apples and was leaning open-mouthed on her knees, said, Lottie, if you don't go on, I'll do something dreadful. So Lottie continued, and the tall stranger smiled down upon her and said, Violets are my favorite flower, and you are a modest little violet. Now you are wrong again, said Ninon. Violets are a pale blue flower, and my cheeks are burning so oddly. I never had them do so before. I know I look like the peonies in the cure's garden. You look like the sweetest rose in the cure's garden. Is that the way big brothers talk to their little sisters? That is the way I talk to you, and I'm in earnest. How do little sisters treat a brother as big as you are? 
well for one thing they kiss them that's queer said ninon innocently i should think it would be just the other way now i think of it you are right and the stranger gave her a kiss that set every nerve tingling how odd she exclaimed half frightened half delighted pierre sometimes kisses me but i never felt that way before and big brothers take their little sisters in their arms and lift them over the rough places as i do and he carried her over a low stone wall that separated them from a shadowy grove oh how nice sighed ninon complacently i've always had to get over the rough places by myself before you will no longer said the youth and they passed under the low branches of a sheltering tree o oh, ninon as innocent as beautiful can you not see that i am not your brother but your lover and he threw himself at her feet but ninon clasped her hands in the deepest distress and cried oh why did you say that you might have been my brother as long as you chose but mother says i can have no lover that i am only a child and like a startled fawn she fled from him and a few moments later panting and breathless was sitting again beside her strange little brother who was still looking into the sky as if he saw a vision the young stranger followed sadly thinking how he might still win her and teach her that she was no longer a child ninon soon became more composed and looked around as if she would like to see him again as at a distance he watched her from under his bent eyebrows a happy thought struck him and he said i'll teach her that she is a woman and stepping forward he singled out a neglected village maiden who seemed ready for a little attention from anybody and whirled her into the dance ninon to her dismay saw the arm of her whilom brother and lover encircling another girl while she apparently was forgotten she could scarcely believe her eyes she looked at him fixedly the picture of reproach but he never seemed to look towards her surprise resentment grief followed each other upon her fair face like clouds passing over a sunny landscape at last she buried her face upon little pierre's shoulder and sobbed he may be my lover or anything else if he will only leave that hateful minx and come to me once more the tall stranger saw her drooping head and quickly led his partner out of the dance and bowed himself away leaving her bewildered so quickly had he come and gone ninon looked up but he was nowhere to be seen and the hateful minx stood alone suddenly a voice that had grown strangely familiar said at her side may i be thy lover now thou art false she said faintly never to thee ninon my thoughts were with thee every moment since thou so cruelly left me do you not see why i sought another maiden i wished to teach you that you were no longer a child but a woman i am your lover your heart has already claimed me and these jealous tears prove it well then said ninon shyly smiling again if my heart has gone to you and i half believe it has i must follow my heart and she put her hand in his loud and long was the applause that greeted lottie's conclusion dan executed a miniature breakdown as an expression of his feelings and it seemed as if mr dimmerly's chuckling laugh would never cease de forest looked uneasy and hemstead was in a trance of bewildered delight alice and harcourt exchanged significant glances but upon the faces of mrs marchmont and bell were traces of disapproval 
now uncle cried lottie it's your turn i have given you comedy we shall expect from you high tragedy the word comedy as lottie here used it jarred unpleasantly on hemstead's ear and the thought crossed harcourt's mind can she be leading hemstead on in heartless jest as we proposed at first how i have changed since that day and i was in hopes that she had too somewhat but mr dimmerly had taken up the thread of the narrative where lottie had dropped it ninon he said lived a long while ago and did not properly refer the tall stranger to her mamma a trysting place and time were agreed upon and the mysterious stranger in green who was apparently a forester said that he had a deer to kill before nightfall and raising her hand to his lips departed ninon sat a long time lost in a maze of thought and then in the twilight roused the rapt child from his visions and they started for their home but villainous faces had hovered on the outskirts of the village green and ill-omened eyes had marked the beauty of ninon and the spiritual face of her brother at that time there was in france a terrible monster known as giles de laval whose emissaries were ever on the alert for such victims it was this cruel man who suggested to perrault his world-renowned story of barbe bleu the bluebeard that dan there knows all about well when ninon and her little brother were passing a thicket but halfway home two masked men sprang out upon them and stifling their terror-stricken cries carried them to a distance from the highway they then bound bandages firmly over their mouths and lifted them on their horses and galloped away and away till poor ninon felt that she could never find her way home again even if she had a chance soon the shadowy walls of a great castle rose before them with a single light in a lofty tower the feet of the iron-shod horses rang on the drawbridge which rose after them and then ninon knew they were prisoners at first they were shut up in a dungeon that was perfectly dark for their cruel jailer knew the overpowering effect of such rayless gloom but strange little pierre said that the place was brighter than the sun and that lovely faces were smiling at him ninon however saw nothing and it was dark indeed to her and she sobbed bitterly and called on her mother and lover for help but only stony-hearted laval and his accomplices heard her girlish voice a bell in one of the towers slowly tolled out eleven o'clock a little later the door of their cell opened a light streamed in two men in hideous masks seized them and carried them up and up till ninon in horror thought that they were to be thrown from the top of the tower but worse than that awaited them for soon they entered a large circular room in which on a sort of throne sat a dreadful-looking man clad in sable he had human form and features but reminded one of the most disgusting kind of wild beasts his eyes were small piercing and malignant but his face was large sensual devilish and poor ninon lost hope from the moment she saw him she instinctively felt that to sue for mercy from such a monster would be worse than vain she had lost hope utterly she and her mother had been mistaken the saints cared for neither little pierre nor herself and had left them to fall into the clutches of this demon she glanced slowly around the room in the faint hope of escape or even for the chance of throwing herself from a window if it were needful in order to escape from that horrible man but the walls were thick 
no light came from without but only from a great furnace that was strangely constructed and made her shudder for a long time there was perfect silence in the dreadful place the two masked men grotesque and horrible stood near the furnace motionless as statues the sable monster on his black throne watched them without moving a muscle in his great coarse face only his small eyes seemed like two scintillating sparks of infernal fire as with a fiendish kind of pleasure he marked the agony of ninon although the young girl instinctively gave up all hope of life yet never had life seemed so sweet its homeliest details now appeared precious and their poor little cottage heaven compared with this din of infamy she had just tasted the exquisite happiness of a new and before unknown love and now she was to die she thought of her mother growing gray in loneliness and grief she thought of her lover coming eagerly to their trysting place but when he should come on the morrow christmas day what would she be where would she be and in her anguish she cried aloud and kneeling stretched out her hands toward the sable throne then for the first time the coarse thick lips of the monster distorted themselves into a hideous grin but otherwise he did not move and the awful silence continued in that chamber of death ninon put her hands to her face to hide his ugly visage and then sank down in the apathy of despair there was nothing in ninon's agony that disturbed laval scarcely a night passed but some victim like herself writhed under his remorseless eyes their mortal fear and sufferings were his recreation before the sterner business of sorcery that followed and the more demonstrative they were in their pain the more highly spiced was his pleasure at first ninon's beautiful and expressive face kept his whole attention but after a time he began to note the strange-appearing little boy who accompanied her there was no fear in his calm pale face there was no dread in his large spiritual eyes that seemed to look past the monster and his thick walls to some rare vision beyond what does the little wretch see he queried for laval like his age was very superstitious but ninon must be goaded out of her apathy or the night would be dull so at last the thick lips open and the awful silence is broken by more awful words girl thou who art to lose body and soul look at me Slowly Ninon lifted her eyes to his brutal face, and gazed fixedly, as some poor little bird might look, into the envenomed jaws of a serpent. The fascination of fear was upon her. In a thick, guttural, monotonous voice, the human beast continued, The devil has shown me that there is a potent charm in thy young innocent heart, and that there are powerful spells in thy warm young blood, and that with them I may discover untold wealth when the bell tolls out the hour of midnight i shall take your bleeding heart out of your living body and the heart of your brother out of his body that with them i may decoct an essence in yonder furnace that will transmute the basest metal into gold midnight is the hour and at midnight you shall die only the spell will be far more potent if you first give yourself to the foul fiend therefore repeat after me i give my soul and body to satan mechanically the terror-stricken girl began i give but little pierre put his hand over her mouth the saints forbid he said quietly seize the child tear out his staring eyes shouted the monster savagely 
Mr. Dimmerly stopped, took off his spectacles, and coolly wiped them as he said, I'm through, and my part of the story is true. This Giles de Laval, or, as he is better known in French history, the Marshal de Retz, destroyed hundreds of children, at ages varying from eight to eighteen, and in ways far worse than I have described. So, Lottie, have you had enough of high tragedy? Oh, uncle, she exclaimed, with a little impatient stamp of her foot, you have told us a horrible story. It must not break off in this way, or we shan't sleep a wink to-night. Mr. Hemstead, you take up the story where uncle left off, and if possible complete it in some way that won't make our blood run cold. Thus Hemstead was put upon his mettle, and soon all present were hanging with breathless interest on his rich, well-modulated tones. When the monster from his sable throne uttered his merciless mandate to tear out the eyes of little Pierre, the two grotesque and statue-like apparitions sprang into life, and snatching hot irons from the furnace, rushed towards the child. Ninon gave a shriek of terror, and thought to shelter the boy in her arms, crying, Do what you will with me, but spare him. Thus again, more truly than before, by jealous tears, Ninon proved that she had become a woman. At this sentence he was interrupted by a perfect storm of applause, in which Harcourt led off again and again. But Hempstead drew his inspiration from Lottie's face, and noted with a thrill of joy that tears stood in her eyes. This was a richer tribute than he received from all the others, and with deeper and more effective tones he continued. But just then the great bell began to toll out the hour of twelve, and the demon from his sable throne made a restraining gesture. Not, he said, must now interfere with our high magic and solemn sorcery. At the last stroke of the bell take their hearts out of their living bodies. Ninon sank on the floor, murmuring like a dying zephyr among the chords of an and harp. Farewell, mother dear, farewell, my lover true, I cannot meet you to-morrow at the fallen tree. Here Hemstead glanced at Lottie, whose face was instantly suffused. And she bowed her head upon her brother's shoulder and sobbed aloud. Slowly and solemnly upon the silent night the iron tongue told out the fatal moments. With increasing uneasiness, the monster upon his sable throne watched little Pierre, who, from first to last, had not shown a trace of fear or trouble. Among all his victims he had never seen a child like this, and his guilty heart began to fail him woefully. He surely sees something, he muttered, as the boy's large eyes dilated with a wondrous awe, and his face grew luminous with a great joy. The heavy vibrations of the last stroke of the bell resounded through the silent night. Suddenly, with a shrill, piercing voice that went like an arrow to the guilty heart of Laval, little Pierre exclaimed, It is Christmas morn, oh, Ninon, look, there is Jesu, the Christ-child, and the Lord of all the saints. See, he is coming towards us, bearing his cross. He is here. He is placing his pierced hands upon our heads. We are saved. And the child knelt reverently on the pavement, and his sister knelt beside him. The monster tumbled off his sable throne, and lay groveling and groaning upon the floor, while his terror-stricken accomplices ran clattering down the stairs. 
far above the tower even, Ninon thought she heard a burst of heavenly song, while little Pierre in rapt ecstasy cried, Listen! Suddenly a clarion voice that Ninon heard most plainly, and that thrilled her to the heart, rang up from the earth beneath. Arm but a hair of their heads, and I will make you suffer the tortures of the damned. Even at their height they could hear the sound of galloping steeds. A dozen brave fellows swam the moat, and a moment later the drawbridge fell heavily, and the clangor of a hundred hoofs rang upon it. Up the winding stair came the tramp of armed men. A thud and a groan followed when any resisted. The dethroned monster lay groveling on the floor, not daring to move. Little Pierre still looked heavenward. Ninon looked towards the door. A moment later her lover rushed in with drawn sword, and Ninon unharmed, with a cry of joy, sprang to his heart. But the fire of a terrible anger burned in the young man's cheek, and he raised his gleaming sword against Laval, who now pleaded piteously for mercy. "'What mercy would you have shown these children?' thundered the youth. "'What mercy have you shown to your other innocent victims?' and he was about to run him through when Ninon caught his arm and cried, Stay, kill him not this Christmas morn in his terrible guilt. It was Jesu who saved us, and does he not ever say, Forgive, even our enemies? Slowly she drew down the raised arm of human vengeance. She took from his reluctant hand the gleaming sword, and returned it in its sheath. And now Ninon had become more than a woman. She is a Christian. End of chapter 30